0: Up next, Rob Smith is problematic, part of the Gingrich 360 Network. Black Lives Matter Inc. is destroying America economically, socially, and culturally. And I'm going to tell you how. This is Rob Smith is Problematic. said blm inc black lives matter whatever you want to call it is in the process of destroying america economically socially and culturally this cannot be understated the negative net impact that blm inc that black lives matter that all of these protests that every single thing that we are going through as an american society right now what we are going through and the the impact that this has on us cannot be understated. And I believe, I truly believe that the impact is negative. This is a net negative. Black Lives Matter Inc. and Black Lives Matter is a net negative for America. And every time, and and I promise you guys, I don't want to sit here and talk about BLM Inc. every single week. I don't want to sit here and talk about race every single week. There are so many more interesting and important things to speak about in the society. The reason I continue to, to talk about this and the reason that I continue to bring it up is because we have to start thinking about cultural impacts of this stuff, social impacts of this stuff, economic impacts of this stuff. And that is what I wanted to talk about this week. So so first, I want to talk about the social costs of, of BLM Inc. And these social costs That we are paying as American society, black people, white people, Hispanics, etc. These social costs are very high. And when I think about the cost that we as Americans are paying when it comes to BLM Inc., when it comes to all these protests, I just think of what is happening in Minneapolis right now. In this very moment in Minneapolis, we are going into the closing arguments for this Derek Chauvin, George Floyd case. This is yet another um, racially tinged incident that has rocked the country, that has torn us apart on racial lines all the time. And what is going on right now is that this city is on edge. This city is now. Minneapolis stores are boarding up. People are leaving the city. People are are getting out of the city. All of this stuff is happening because they just do not know what is going to happen if Derek Chauvin is not convicted. Right. If this man is not convicted of, of killing and murdering George Floyd, because that is what the narrative has said. And they have to. Board this city up and they have to prepare for riots because these are not protests. These are actual riots and they have to prepare for this because if this does not go the way that the BLM mob and that the woke Twitter mob um, and that the far left wanted to go, they will burn this city down. They have showed you that they will burn this city down because they burned it down last summer. And so you have we've had rioting every night. In Minneapolis. We've had businesses boarded up again because terrified business owners fear more riots. So this is one of the main social costs of BLM Inc. that we are dealing with right now. And the craziest thing about all of this is that this is now normalized in America. It is now normalized that there is a city that is bracing for riots. This is now apparently what we do during the summers. In America now, because this is what we've done pretty much every summer since what 2013, 2014. Has there been a summer without a BLM riot since 2013, 2014? I do not know. And the most interesting thing about this is, is that our quote unquote unifier in chief, Joe Biden, he ran on uniting America. And he ran that uh you know America was gonna get back to normalcy and we were gonna get back to business. America has not gone back to normalcy because this is not normal and none of us should ever accept this as being normal. But this is what was pushed. And this is the exact opposite of what is happening right now. I remember speaking to a friend leading up into the election. This friend was a Republican. This friend was about to vote for Trump again. And he said, you know what? I'm I'm thinking about voting for Joe Biden because you know what? I just want this all to go away. I want everybody to calm down. And I told this friend, I said, do not let the far left hold your vote hostage like this because I promise you, I promise you that this will not end. If Joe Biden gets into office and I was absolutely correct, this is not going to end anytime soon. It certainly wasn't going to end with Joe Biden being in office because he is such a weak leader. He's such an ineffectual leader. Um, He is so fundamentally flawed and weak in so many different ways. He will say whatever the far left wants him to say, whatever the left wants him to say. Because he wants to go down in history as being the most quote-unquote progressive president. And as I've told you all before, they would like for these rights to continue on indefinitely. They want this stuff. Because what this stuff does is it distracts from their failures that are going on right now. And I've told you guys this before. And so now not only is it normalized that we have this entire city... That is on edge. That is that is being boarded up because they are so afraid. What is going to happen if this this man is not convicted of of murder uh, or, or manslaughter, whatever whatever they want him convicted of? I believe that they that the 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 mob wants him convicted of first degree murder. So this is what they want. And if they do not get it, they will burn down. They will burn down Minneapolis. They will burn the city again, even more. Speaking of things that are not normalized, but now are in this this BLM era that we're in. We have a sitting member of Congress advocating for more violence and more strife in the the streets as if we are not divided enough as a country right now. I want you to listen to what Maxine Waters had to say to reporters and and to a a crowd of of people in Minneapolis. We're looking for a guilty... And we're looking to see if all of the talk that took place and has been taking place after they saw what happened to George Floyd, if nothing does not happen, then we know uh, that we've got to not only stay in the street, but we've got to fight for justice. But I am very hopeful, and I hope uh, that we're going to get a verdict that say guilty, 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 and if we don't, we we cannot go. Away. and not just manslaughter right i mean oh no not manslaughter no 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 this is this is guilty for murder i don't know whether it's in the first degree but as far as i'm concerned it's first degree. what should protesters do well we, we gotta stay on the street uh, and we've got to get more active we've got to get more confrontational we've got to make sure that they they know that we need this we have got to get more active we've got to get more confrontational and this is very rich coming from Maxine Waters. And before I get into that, let's talk a little bit about Maxine Waters. Maxine Waters has been in Congress for 30 years. Okay. Um, Maxine, Waters has, Maxine Waters has lived in Congress for 30 years, uh, has been in Congress for 30 years. Maxine Waters lives in a $6 million home outside of, of that district. Maxine Waters district in Englewood um, has a, a, I believe, a 17 percent poverty rate. They have an 18 percent proficiency rate when it comes to math. And so people like Maxine Waters, this is what they do. A do nothing like Maxine Waters, who has been sitting in Congress for 30 years, doing absolutely nothing but enriching herself while her districts, multiple districts, by the way, because she has moved districts three times in 30 years. So while these districts are crumbling around her, she uses this racial strife and she uses these moments to enrich herself so that she can raise more funds so that she can get another house so that she can be seen as doing anything at all for Black America when she has done absolutely nothing for the past 30 years. And that is what's so despicable uh, about people like Maxine Waters. That is what's so despicable about how the whole Black Lives Matter movement has been used by people that are already wealthy and already powerful as an excuse to further divide America, but to also manipulate you and particularly manipulate African-Americans into thinking that they're doing anything for the Black American community. And this is what irritates me so much about this whole thing. And when we talk about the the social costs of BLM Inc., what nobody wants to talk about is the mental toll that stuff like this really takes on, on Black Americans. Nobody really wants to talk about that. Because, look... There are there are two camps here. There are the black liberals that talk about BLM Inc and they talk about black lives matter and they do all this stuff and they run around to the to the news networks and they do their podcasts and they do all this stuff and they say oh I'm so tired. I'm so tired of talking about racism. But this is just what I have to deal with every day as a black person in America. You know this is what they do. You know this is this is how they earn their money. This is how how they get their homes. And and we'll get into that in the next segment. But what I am so concerned with, and what I think is the biggest social cost here, is the social cost to the psyche, to the minds of Black Americans who actually believe this stuff. They believe this stuff. They take all of this stuff in, and it starts affecting how. They move through the world on a daily basis. This affects how they see their opportunity for success in the world. This affects how they see um, their interactions with with, uh, white Americans and and people that are non-black in this world. It affects how they see their interactions with police officers in this world. It affects every single thing. And this is negative because let me tell you something. There is no empowerment in victimhood. There is no empowerment in going through the world and seeing yourself as a victim. in this victimhood narrative, this disempowerment, this idea that the entire world is out to get you because you are black in America, this is the main social cost of Black Lives Matter of BLM Inc. because they are infecting millions of Black Americans with this message. We in America, America has the wealthiest African American population of anywhere in the world. That is right here in America. And there are people that are that are using this, this Black Lives Matter hustle. There are people that are using this to enrich themselves. And that, that's not what I'm talking about. We'll get more into that. But the social cost of Black Lives Matter, Inc., of Black Lives Matter to America, and specifically to Black Americans, is that we are, and these people are encouraging and quote-unquote inspiring an entire generation of brilliant, talented, smart Black Americans that live in the one place in the world that is going to give them the most opportunity for economic development, for social development, for cultural development of anywhere else in the world. And the cost of Black Lives Matter is that this talent, this talented group of people are being told by their media, by their celebrities, by these activists, by their politicians, By everyone else that they should see themselves in this world is absolutely nothing but victims of what they're being told is a fundamentally racist country and i cannot think of a bigger social and societal cost to this country than that now it's not only a social cost that Black Lives Matter, Inc. is costing America. It is also economic as well. And I want to get into the economic costs of the Black Lives Matter movement after the break. So when we talk about some of the costs of of Black Lives Matter, Inc., of, of BLM, Inc., whatever you want to call it, I talked about the social costs. We know that this is infecting the minds of an entire generation of young African-Americans. But what about the economic costs? What about the economic costs of this movement that is basically leaderless, that can basically activate hordes of people on any street, in any city in America, virtually overnight? What are the economic costs to this if you live in a city or if you're near a city that inadvertently finds itself targeted by BLM Inc. Well, let's just, let's just crunch some of the numbers here. Now, you may remember, I believe it was, uh, it was middle of last year, there's a man named Jacob Blake that was shot, uh, I believe, uh, eight times by police officers. Black man um, claimed he was unarmed, that ended up being a lie. Um, claimed that the cops were called on him by accident, that ended up being a lie. There was so much about that story that ended up being a lie. But that didn't matter, because Kenosha, Wisconsin which is where this happened, burned. Kenosha, Wisconsin, and, we, and we've seen, and I talked to you guys last week about the BLM Inc. hustle. We've seen all of this stuff and how it happens. So when Kenosha, Wisconsin, became um, a, a flashpoint for, for this BLM Inc., the, a flashpoint for these protests, and we saw the rioting and the unrest and all of that stuff, Kenosha, Wisconsin's property damage, was to the tune of $50 million. $50 million in property damage, right? And so now there is an argument that comes from the far left or that comes from the left that says, well, you know, this is about people because property damage, people have insurance for that. But ho, ho, that is not exactly true. And let's break this down right quick. Now, this is an article written by um, a man named uh, Brad Palumbo that is on feed.org. And this is very, very interesting because this is putting a a big hole in the idea that this doesn't matter because these places, oh, they just can get insurance and it's okay. So this is from him. Um, 75% of U.S. businesses are underinsured, and about 40% of small businesses have no insurance at all. Their untold millions and losses do not show up in the $2 billion figure, because he was talking about this was the George Floyd, Floyd riots. And when he talks about that $2 billion, he's not only talking about the property damage, but the long-term economic impact of these riots. And you want to talk about long-term economic impact of these riots? Look at Detroit. Look at what's still going on in some parts of L.A. The Detroit riots were in the 60s. The LA, L.A. riots were in the early 90s. And the long-term economic impact of this stuff is still being felt to this very day. So that kind of puts a pin you know, in, in this idea that... Oh, everybody has insurance. So it doesn't really matter that we're burning these places down because they have insurance. It doesn't matter that we are destroying these small businesses, the majority of which or, or a big number of which are black owned because they have insurance. We're going to destroy this block because they have insurance. We're going to destroy that target because they have insurance. We're going to destroy that Walgreens because they have insurance. We're going to destroy that coffee shop. That was somebody's dream to put in their own community because they have insurance. And when they get done destroying these cities, and this is what I've never understood. I have never understood the idea behind destroying the neighborhood that you live in. So these neighborhoods that are being destroyed in the BLM protests and the BLM riots and all of this other stuff, these are generally neighborhoods in urban centers. These are neighborhoods in which the majority of people are black. brown and they are getting completely decimated completely destroyed and i don't know if you guys watch a lot of these clips on twitter and because i see them every single day you know social media is my job i'm on twitter a lot i see them every single day some resident stands up and they say take that stuff somewhere else there was one um, with these these uh, these protests in, in the Brooklyn Center in, in Minneapolis where a guy he was this man was so infuriated. He was shaking. He was furious. He was shaking. He runs up to these people and he says, take that somewhere else. Do not bring that here. Don't bring this here. Don't bring this here because he knows exactly what's going to happen. Once these riots come to these places. And so, again, when we talk about what is happening during these protests, when we talk about the economic impact, there is an economic impact. There's also um, an impact of people's lives. There were there were people that died during this unrest that nobody ever talks about. And I want to get back into these long term economic impacts, because so often. As we go through this process, as we go through this now summer ritual of seeing cities completely destroyed by these Black Lives Matter protests, we don't talk about the long-term impacts. And so this is, again, from Brad Palumbo. I believe that this is uh, from the National Review this time. Riots have a lasting shadow on a city That haunts its economy for decades. The afflicted areas face higher insurance rates, lower property values, higher prices, reduced tax revenue and decreased economic opportunity. Right. And so let's talk about some numbers. One study of the 1992 Los Angeles riots concluded that not only did the destruction cost one billion dollars in initial property damage over time. It led to an economic decline of $3.8 billion in sales activity and at least $125 million in tax revenue. You ever wonder why all of these riots always seem to happen in dim machine-run cities? Because they are always, always in deficits. And this is, again, a 2005 study examining similar riots in the 1960s found, quote, negative, persistent, and economically significant effects of riots on the value of Black-owned housing to the degree of a 10% decline in the total value of Black-owned property in cities. So now, not only are these riots in these cities destroying the the, the cities themselves, right? So like I said, no Walgreens, no Dollar Tree, no Target, no any of this stuff. So this stuff is gone and this stuff is destroyed, and I will give the leftists granted a target or a major um, a major corporation. Yes, they will likely be able to get some insurance. I don't disagree with that. But what about the local the local liquor store? What about the local restaurants? What about the local coffee shops? They don't care about that. And this idea that these riots are hurting black owned housing; their property values are dropping. These. Things, These riots, these protests are actually hurting the economic value that black Americans have when they buy into these these cities. And that just doesn't go away when the media moves on. That stuff doesn't just go away when BLM Inc. decides to go destroy another city. That stuff lingers on. And I've told you guys, I have been to Minneapolis, and I have seen it with my own two eyes, and there is no way, and I'm telling you guys, as somebody that has seen this with my own two eyes and walked those streets downtown, there is absolutely no way that Minneapolis, that area, I believe it's called the the Lake Street, there is no way that that area is going to look like anything for at least a decade. And so when we talk about the economic impacts of this stuff, think about how when that's all said and done, when everybody moves on, why on earth, and, and I'm serious about this, why on earth would anybody want to go back there to rebuild? Why on earth would anybody, black, white, purple, green, or whatever, want to buy a house there? Why would anybody want to expose themselves like that financially when you know that the exact same thing can happen again. We don't speak enough about the detrimental economic impact that these riots have on these cities. Because you know what? When MSNBC goes into these things and and you know they've got their live shot with a burning building in the background and they try to to tell you and assure you that this is a mostly peaceful protest because these people think that you are stupid. And when you know one of the one of the CNN idiots you know runs and 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 you know goes to try to interview people and and all of that stuff they run to go do there because you know that's quote unquote their job and you know uh, they need ratings and all that other stuff. so they go do it. And then everybody, you know, I, I went down there. I went to Minneapolis last summer. You know, I recorded something on the streets. I, I was devastating because nobody cared after it was over. And so when all of these people leave, what is left? Nothing. Damaged buildings, burned down blocks, Economic damage that will take decades to recover from. And that economic damage, by the way, isn't felt by people like Maxine Waters, who live in $6 million houses. In fact, that economic damage is not even felt by people like Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Cullors. Because if you have been paying attention, oh, well, Patrice Cullors, who co-founded Black Lives Matter is now the proud owner of a real estate portfolio that is worth to the tune of $3.5 million. Now, let's just break down you know, some of her property. Now, this comes from the New York Post, and this was a big thing when this broke earlier last week. But let's just break this down in case you haven't forgotten. Let's break down the real estate portfolio of the, the co-founder of Black Lives Matter. So there's a 1.4 million dollar home in Topanga Canyon in Los Angeles which uh you know Jason Whitlock was was smart enough to point out and then he got locked out on Twitter for doing so. That Topanga Canyon has a black population of about 1.9%. So you know she's definitely for the people there. Conyers, Georgia. 415,000 dollars three bedroom house with an airplane hangar because you know you have to fly privately. When you're fighting for social justice and you're fighting for the people in the streets, you know, just privately just makes it a lot more convenient. Inglewood, Los Angeles, Maxine Waters District. Surprise, surprise. Three bedroom, one and a half bath that is worth $775,000 right now after she purchased it in 2016 for $510,000. And finally, just a nice, polite $720,000 four-bedroom, two-bathroom home in South Los Angeles. You know, just a little bit. You know, not too much. Just $3.5 million worth of real estate for somebody who has started this movement because she is fighting so hard for black lives that she doesn't even want to live around black people. She's fighting so hard for, uh, for the, the economic empowerment Of black Americans in this country, she co founded a movement that literally destroys black neighborhoods on a yearly basis. At this point, we're looking at probably three, four, five black owned, black uh, majority black neighborhoods a year that are completely destroyed by these BLM protests. So, you know, think about the economic costs of Black Lives Matter, Inc., think about that. And think about exactly who isn't bearing any of the economic costs of these protests. People like Maxine Waters and people like the BLM co-founder Patrice Cullors. So after all of this, what are the cultural costs of BLM Inc. on our country? What is this doing to American culture? I want to let you know right after the break. I did not necessarily want to do another episode about Black Lives Matter, Inc. I tire of speaking about it, but it just seems like every single day something that is just more and more outrageous comes out. And I feel like it is one of my duties to at least be one of the few African-Americans in this country that is willing to speak the truth about this. And the truth is, is that BLM Inc. is a sham. The truth is, is that there are a lot of people at the top that are getting very wealthy off of this. And it's not just me, by the way, that thinks that BLM Meek is a sham. I want to read to you um, a Facebook post that was written by Tamika Palmer right who is the mother of Brianna Taylor we talked about Brianna Taylor in earlier episodes i'm not going to get into that if you guys are new here it, it's it's all there we don't have to break that down but Brianna Taylor is a young lady that was shot and killed uh, by police officers in Kentucky last year during a botched drug raid this became a BLM thing right this is what the mother of Brianna Taylor said on facebook and by the way she snatched this down but thank god you know people screenshotted it I have never personally dealt with BLM Louisville. That is one of the local chapters of BLM Inc. And I have personally found them to be a fraud. I could walk in a room full of people who claim to be here for Brianna's family who don't even know who I am. I've watched y'all raise money on behalf of Brianna's family who have never done a damn thing for us. Nor have we needed it or asked. So talk about fraud. So talk about fraud. So this is what even some of the most prominent people that are even tangentially involved in this movement think about this. Even the, I believe that this guy, uh, Hank Newsom is one of the leaders of the New York chapter of Black Lives Matter. And he wants, and he said this, this is, uh his name is, his name is, God, what is his name? Let me find this right quick for you. Um Hank Newsom, so this is what he said. and this is the leader of New York City's BLM. We need black firms and black accountants to go in there and find out where the money is going. He, his group does not receive any financial support from the BLM global network. And so it's a sham. And I, I you know a, a lot of people are starting to realize that this is a sham and a scam. But they're afraid to speak out about it. They're afraid to speak publicly about the fact that this is a sham or a scam because it has so thoroughly um, begun to define what it is to be a black American in this country that people are terrified to be even remotely critical of any of this stuff. But outside of all of this, what are some of the cultural costs of BLM Inc. on our country? We have become a country as Americans, who speaks of nothing else but race, America obsessively talks about race over and over and over again. We, we speak of nothing else. If we're not talking about Black Lives Matter, we're talking about stop Asian hate. We're talking about the Latinos at the border. Border security is racist. Everything is racist. Everything is racist. And this is where we are as a country right now. And we are paying a price culturally for this. Do I think that there are some interesting topics or there's some interesting thing to be to be gleaned out of some of these conversations absolutely. But do I think that overall our our american obsession with race is doing anything to help us as a country? Um do I think that it is doing anything to make us stronger on a global scale? Do I think that it is doing anything to bring us together culturally? Do I think that it is doing anything to bring us together politically? Absolutely not. This race thing affects every single aspect of every conversation that happens in American culture. It affects our schools. It affects what is being taught. It affects what you see on the Internet. It affects the entertainment that you see. I've been watching black, like, look, black people like watching things with black people in them. I've been watching black movies and all that stuff for for, uh, forever. Forever. Some iconic stuff. There is not a black-oriented show that I can watch right now that is not race crazy. That is not about either life in the 60s, Jim Crow South, slavery, something to do with Black Lives Matter right now, something to do with race and racism, it completely has taken over all of the culture. And the thing about it is is that it did not always used to be like this. There used to be entertainment and media and culture that was directed towards African-Americans so we could see ourselves reflected. That didn't have anything to do with all this stuff. There were black people that were falling in love. They were, they were you know, uh, working jobs. They were going through human struggles that human people go through that are not specific to the black American experience. But now all we get from our culture all the time is that you're a victim, you're a victim, you're a victim. You watch the news, you're a victim. You listen to these people's podcasts, you're a victim. Um, you, you, know, you watch these celebrities and entertainers, you're a victim. You watch the movies, you're a victim. You're always a victim. And so the cultural cost to our country, and like I said before about the, the, the social cost, but the cultural cost is this. We are not seeing ourselves as Americans. We do not speak of the things that unite us as Americans. We speak of nothing, nothing else but the things that divide us. We speak of nothing else but race. We speak of nothing else in this country but race all the time, and it will destroy us. Because as we are seeing right now, things are on a very accelerated path in terms of the racial destruction and discord that is happening in this country. Black Lives Matter has been around for seven years, eight years maybe. I think it'll be eight years this year. And now it is being taught in elementary schools, it is being taught in colleges. It has become a part of the fundamental fabric of how our children are educated in this country. And I'm not talking about black history. I'm not talking about African American history. I'm not talking about, you know, talking about um the ways in which African Americans have contributed to the greatness of America and, and things that great things African Americans have done in the past. I'm not talking about that. Because that's not what's being taught. What's being taught is Black Lives Matter. What's being taught to a black five-year-old in the wrong school is that they are victims and that they need to start talking about and thinking about white supremacy and they need to think about all of the ways in which they are different from other people. And I will tell you, as somebody who used to fall victim to this crap, and it is crap, mind you, I fell victim to, to this indoctrination and all of this stuff. I was indoctrinated during undergrad at Syracuse University. Before undergrad... I was not going to, and, and you know, I didn't go to undergrad until I was about 20. Uh, I think I was 22 because I went after the military. I did not even think about anything in terms of black and white. I rarely, rarely did. But when you go and when you get indoctrinated, everything is about race, 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 bye bye, black, all that other stuff. It really does color the way you see the world and it becomes a switch that is flipped. That cannot be flipped back off. And this is now what we are telling black kids in our country because now BLM Inc. has infected our educational system. But look, white liberals love this because it allows them to treat black people and black Americans like the stupid Victim children that have zero agency in their own lives that they like to treat us as. So white liberals love Black Lives Matter. They love this. White liberals love any black person that will lecture about how oppressed they are. I think it gives them a smug sense of superiority. It's the soft bigotry of low expectations. Do nothing black politicians love it like Maxine Waters. Maxine Waters loves Black Lives Matter, Inc., because that means that Maxine Waters doesn't have to do anything for her district. And this gives cover for people like Maxine Waters, for people like Cori Bush and Mondaire Jones, and, and all of these other black politicians who, you know, Cori Bush and Mondaire Jones, they're new, so, you know, we will, they're, they're not going to become multimillionaires for at least another couple of years. But Maxine Waters is true to the game. She knows this. And she knows that she can say the right things and use things like this to enrich herself. Because people that look like her will take every bit of it and they'll love every bit of it. And pseudo intellectual black liberals love it as well because they don't really have to talk about any facts. They don't have to talk about anything but, but their lived experience of, of how they are perpetual victims of racism in America um, as they hop into their car service and go to their $25,000 speaking engagement um, on the way back from their uh, $250,000 yearly contract to be a contributor for MSNBC. So they love it, too. But what is the cost to America? What is the cost to America when it comes to BLM Inc.? We are giving up a sense of desperately needed American unity. We are a country that needs to be unified. We are a country that needs to speak more to what brings us together instead of the things that drive us apart. And this is what this is costing us right now. And I will tell you, and I want to be very clear about this. The people that are pushing this destruction have no interest in a strong America. They have no interest in a unified America. They have no interest in a country in which black people and white people coexist peacefully. They have no interest in that country because that country is not going to give them power. right? That country uh, is not going to put them in power. That country is not going to put them where they need to be or where they think they need to be. So they will keep pushing this because you have to understand that people like Maxine Waters and people like Joe Biden and people like Kamala Harris and all of these people, they gain power when America is as divided as we are right now. In fact, they actively seek to divide this country because they know it brings them power. Look at how much power all of these people have right now. Look at how much power Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer have. Look at how much power Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have. There is still a wall around Congress. There are still National Guard troops in D.C. for what? To send a message. BLM Inc. is a part of this. And it is a part of this that they are using to further destroy America. So the final question is, how do we bring America back from the brink? How do we heal from this? The first step towards healing from this is that you have to understand exactly what BLM Inc. is. You have to understand exactly what the goal is. You have to understand exactly who is using it and why they want to use it and how they want to use it. And you have to stand up and fight back against that. And how we fight back against that is by rejecting all of these ideas that they are pushing out here. The idea that any Black American can be victim to police violence at any time, which is false. The idea that Blacks in this country live in a perpetual state of fear and outrage and poverty, that is false. If we don't start Standing up and pushing back against the fundamental lies of what Black Lives Matter tries to tell to Americans, the fundamental lies that give them power, we will lose our sense of American identity. We will lose any sense of American unity that we had ever gotten. So it's not going to matter who's in office. It's not going to matter who's in charge. This is a cultural battle against BLM, Inc., against every single thing that this quote-unquote organization stands for. Because the one thing it truly stands for, truly above anything else, is not the liberation of African Americans. It is not the reformation of the police force. It is fundamentally the destruction of America. And they do not care how many Black lives, Black businesses, Black cities are destroyed in their pursuit for that goal.